Friday, May 8th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, and I'm joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Paul, good to talk to you again. Uh, seems like this week sort of flew by. Uh, you know, we, we had a couple of good guests on the uh, the podcast each day, and the the idea that there's the well, you know proposal coming from the league about uh, a possible target date. Uh, there was actual news in this week that, that, that made it not seem like, uh, you know, everybody's still hunkered down in their own homes. Yeah, definitely. Joe, you look up and it's Friday, you know, so <laughs> it, it did go fast. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, there's some uh, momentum being gained, you know, throughout baseball with the teams, the players, the players association and the owners are all ch- kind of moving toward one goal. But uh, let's just hope it's, it's, you know, they, the virus gives them a break and uh, it settles down and, you know, the people in the country are safe and uh, this thing flattens out and they can play baseball because, you know, to me, it's, it, if, if, if you're still losing like, you know, 3000 people a day throughout the country to this virus and, you know, what are you doing playing baseball? You know, that, 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 that strikes me. That strikes that strikes a nerve with me. I, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but you know, hopefully by July this thing they've got a handle on this thing or a better handle than they do right now. Right, and it was interesting to see with with the governor's you know of Ohio his rollout of uh, you know restaurants and and you know the, the other businesses that are going to be reopening in, in stages over the next couple of weeks here. Uh, that really should provide some sort of indication or some sort of test for, you know, how, how people are managing and adapting to the differences now. It's not just going to be ballplayers who are going to be, you know, doing things differently. It's going to be the, the fans and the people who, uh, you know, eventually when they, when they are able to come back and, and watch games at, at bars or wherever, it's, it's going to be different for everybody. So, uh, you know, just seeing all the, the, the people reacting to the, the proposals from even coming out of Columbus right now, uh, that that's been it, it's an indication of progress, but it's also uh, something to be be aware of and be conscious of. Like you said, doing it the right way is is what's important, not uh, not doing it fastest or the first. Definitely, and Dewine, you know, Governor Dewine has done. I think he's been at the forefront of that. Just cautious leadership, you know, good leadership, and uh, hopefully, you know, it, it works out. You know, hopefully that leads to, uh, uh, you know a return to some kind of normalcy. Well, as we've, we've been hearing conversations as the, the talk of timelines and dates, you know, sort of picks up. And obviously the, the big ones out there are the, the um, June 10th return to sort of working out, uh, bringing the teams back date. And then the July 1st proposed or thought of, uh, you know, possible opening day. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of conversation uh, on the other side of that. Uh, you know, mentioning that the the league and the players association have to work out some sort of arrangement for, uh, you know, to, to make financial things work there. And, you know, nobody wants to see money be the the reason why baseball gets held up this year, but there's a, there's a possibility of that. And and we saw in a, in a post today on the athletic where uh, there rumblings and rumors and thoughts about a possible revenue sharing uh, proposal just for this one season, to, to sort of make the make things equal or, or a more level playing field for uh, the players and the owners because there aren't going to be fans in the stands at least at the beginning 
when they start playing games. So uh, the players are, can't expect to get paid their full salaries. The owners don't want to have to pay, uh, you know, more than they're able to pay. Uh, where, where is there middle ground? Is there, is there a place where these two can, can meet in the middle here and, and come together on something? Yeah, I don't know about revenue sharing, Joe, but I think there is a place where uh, the owners and players can meet. I know the players have kind of felt they've already cut salary. They've already, you know, if there is no season, they've said they won't get paid. They've agreed not to get paid as long as they get the same amount of service time they had last year. And now the, the owners are coming back and, uh, you know, they want them to take more of a cut. But, Joe, if, these, if this is what holds up baseball, owners and, and players arguing over money, the public will never forgive them, believe me. And they're going to have a hard time getting people back into the ballpark. Well, I mean, they are going to get, have they're, – they're going to lose some fans, you know, and, and I just think it would just be if, – if, if the virus clears to a point where you can play and – People, you know, are dying for. I mean, people want to see baseball. They, I think, they want they want some entertainment. And if money holds it up and money cancels this season, that's like you said yesterday. That's bad optics. Yeah, and it'll be optics that last for a long, long time. I mean, you thought it was bad getting fans back in the st- uh, the stadiums after uh, the the strike in in ninety four ninety five. Uh, it's going to be 10 times worse if, if they're not able to come to an agreement and play games. Uh, you know, like you said, if, the, if things are allowed to do that. Uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa aren't waiting to bring fans back to the stadiums uh, right now. It, it, would, it would be rather disappointing to see Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire out there trying to hit home runs, I guess. Uh, and, and there's it, testing now, so those guys, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> quite a bit smaller. <laughs> yeah, and there's testing now. Great, great one, Lindsay. That that's it. Uh, right there. Uh, hey, well, you know what? I'll tell you something that uh, a home run that that fans would definitely come back to the park to see. Uh, this is uh, the anniversary. I believe yesterday was the anniversary of Bartolo Colon's only career home run. Uh, he he hit it while he was playing for the Mets. He was in uh, San Diego back in 2016. And James Shields gave up 40 home runs that year, and one of them was to 42-year-old at the time, Bartolo <laughs> Colon. Uh, can you believe that? That I, I mean, no, nobody believes that Bartolo Colon hit a home run, but can you believe what Bartolo Colon developed into after he left the Indians? You know, uh, the the folk hero that he became, just by you know moving around from from team to team and just being this sort of enigma that he that he was uh you know Bartolo Colon was unlike any other pitcher we've seen come through here but he really sort of took off in that regard after he left Cleveland yeah I mean he was I just remember how hard he threw and uh, the baseball sizzled when he threw it you know if you were standing behind the cage in bat in uh, spring training and batting cage in 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 standing behind the cage in spring training and watching him throw BP I mean it was he was unbelievable. And then he just kept getting bigger and he kept throwing harder and harder and harder. There was, there was this in, in, uh, when they first moved into a progressive field, you know, the runway you walk down to the field. Mm-hmm. Well, they were doing some work on the, on the roof. They were, you know, taking off the uh, panels and there was exposed nails, you know, from the roof. And 
part. And I kept looking up there and I kept seeing baseballs sticking in those nails. You know, and I, and I finally asked somebody, who does that? Who throws that so hard you could like make, stick a hardball, you know, fast, a, a major league hardball into a nail. And they said, Cologne does that. He, he like, he did. That's what he did to amuse he'd, himself. He'd walk by and fire the baseballs yeah, up into the ceiling. Yeah, baseball up into the ceiling and would stick into the nails. And there was like five or six baseballs up there. Jeez. Uh, and that, that, for no reason whatsoever. Just to, Yeah, just, to that was just his way of uh, amusing himself. Well, I mean, we didn't really get to see flashes of like the, the personality that, that he sort of showed, um, you know, quietly. He he didn't didn't really speak uh, a lot of English when he was was with the Indians, uh, so I never got to uh, see or experience him sort of you know give it to any teammates or anything like that. Were, were there any stories of of him being being goofy at all in, in the clubhouse? You know, I I don't remember that. I just remember uh, you know uh, Louis Isaac, the old bullpen coach, was his interpreter, mm-hmm. and we we'd all after every one of his starts, we'd get around him and. Uh, you know, we'd ask Louie ask Louis a question. He'd tell, he'd tell uh, Bartolo what, what the question was. And Bartolo would talk like for like two minutes after every question. I mean, he just goes on and on and on in Spanish. And mm-hmm. Louis, Louis, Louis' answer was said, Bartolo said he felt good tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were missing something there. Yes. You know, we were, we were missing something there. And then I remember when he first came up, and he spoke English a lot better than people knew. Mm-hmm. And uh, a Sheldon Ocker and me were talking to him in Detroit. And this was early in his career, maybe before one of his early starts. And he said he was getting calls in his hotel room all night. You know, you're going to get beat. To, don't come out. Don't come to the ballpark. You know, tomorrow you're going to get beat. And he explained it all in perfect English. So uh-huh. it was, uh, you know, and that's what used to crack me up. This guy's been in. But he's been in the he pitched for about twenty years in the big leagues, and he always right. had an interpreter with him. And he he like he was like Manny, you know, he spoke English a lot better than people uh, gave him credit for. Right, if he just didn't want to have a conversation with the yeah, he just he didn't. didn't have and, and you know, he was a little intimidated, I think, by having like twenty reporters around him. And right. I, I can understand that, but well, I know, remember he, he, what was going on. I remember I, I covered spring training uh, down early in, in his career, uh, you know, 2001, 2002, something like that. Uh, I remember talking to Sandy Alomar about, uh, like you mentioned, the, the way his fastball sizzled. Uh, Sandy said that, I said, did, did it ever hurt catching Bartolo Colon's, you know, 96 plus mile an hour fastball? And Alomar said, no, no, no. When he throws a fastball, it's very light. It, it's He catches it. It's very light. It doesn't, it, it doesn't hurt. Oh, yeah. it, doesn't have a lot of sync to it or anything like that. It had more of a rising effect, uh, and and he said it, it was very light. I remember Sandy describing Cologne's fastball as light and thinking, "Dude, the guy's throwing ninety six. It can't be all that light." I mean, but I, uh, I, I used to love to watch him pitch. He would, uh, you know, when he got to the end, when he knew it was his last inning, the seventh or eighth, not you know, eighth inning, mm-hmm. and uh, when he could was had a look at the radar gun. He was always like trying to throw as hard as he could his last pitch. You know, right. as you look up there, 97, 98, 99, you could tell when, when he was done. You know, that, that was his last inning. He was, he, he, was em- he was emptying the tank. Somebody, yeah. t- somebody yeah. taught him to empty the tank. Oh, then, uh, he uh, came, you know, he, was so, uh, he wasn't as – obviously he wasn't as big as right. he is now mm-hmm. when, when he first came up with the Indians. But he was big and he had the, had the bad body. 
and uh, they had uh, Fernando Montez was the strength coach then, mm-hmm. and they had this pink bike. They they made they made the players ride around the complex in spring training when when they were out of shape and they had to lose weight. And he was on that bike almost every spring, riding it around. Riding riding the bike around the uh, the county. That was yeah. down in, in Winterhaven, right? In Winterhaven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh let's uh let's jump into some questions here, answer one or two questions uh from our, our subscribers on subtext, Indian subtext, uh Cleveland.com slash uh subtext you can go to. Uh, to sign up, it's three ninety nine a month. You get uh, text messages, and uh, you can reply to Hoinsey, to myself, uh, regarding anything Indians. Uh, we, we give you inside information, and we break news there first uh, before anybody else gets it. Uh, 216-208-4346 if you want to send a text to that and, and get uh, signed up for Indian subtext to get insider info from Paul and myself. Uh, our exclusive way to ask questions here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Paul, what do you got for us? Okay, Joe, this is from Tom Kehoe from Florida. Is drug testing a routine part of a player's physical uh, to determine, you know, if a trade is legitimate, if a trade is, is goes through? Have the, Indians, have the Indians any recourse as far as negating the uh, Emanuel Class A trade? Uh, I don't believe that testing is part of the, uh, like any sort of trade or, or pre-physical. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's not, uh, that's done independently by the, by the league, correct? Or not, yeah, not by, independently of the league. That's an agreement between the league and the, uh, the players association. Exactly. Joe, there, you can't test a guy for PEDs to, uh, um, to complete a trade to, you know, to, uh, finish off a trade. I mean, and, and, a trade isn't like a free agent signing. Free agents, the guy comes in, you give him a complete physical, then you make a decision whether you want to sign him or not. But a trade is, is more like a, a kind of a, a buyer beware to a certain degree. If, now, if you make a trade and, and uh, this guy is hurt, then you, you know, he comes in for a physical and you find something you know, dramatically wrong with him that, you know, physically that, that you didn't anticipate or – the other team's doctors or medical reports didn't reveal, you can protest that. But you can't order, you know, we want to see if this guy's using steroids. I mean, you can't, you can't do it. You right. know, that, like you said, an indep- independent body, you know, controls that. Right. And, and I mean, in, in the past, like, you, you could, if you know a guy is damaged goods or if a guy's coming off of a, a surgery or something like that, you could ask for a, a, another, like, minor league or something like that to, to sweeten the – sweeten the deal but and we've seen you know teams rework trades like that but you know not after the fact not not you know three four months after the fact and after he's been in spring training camp with you that you're not going to be able to go back to texas and and get more players or anything like that out of the deal yeah that's not happening and you know sometimes you'll, you'll make a deal and you know the guy you know let's say you're making a deal for you know the the primary guy is the one, the guy you want, but they throw in a couple other players and you know, one of them might be hurt mm-hmm. or has had some shoulder problems. Well, you know, as long as you, you know what you're getting, you're kind of, you go into your de- the deal with your eyes wide open and you know that this guy has a physical problem. And, and when you examine him, you know, the physical problem, you know, 
checks out to what the other team told you, you know, that, that, that you, you know, the Indians have done deals like that, but you know, you just can't, uh, you just can't test a, P, a guy for PEDs. Right. Uh, here's another one uh, from Dave Bowers from Avon. Um, how much time will the Indians give Bradley Zimmer before they move on? Before his injuries, he had so many outstanding tools. It's a shame that he's been hit with those injuries. Well, and I, I don't think there, you know, there are timetables and, and things like that, that that will force them to move on eventually if, if uh, you know, they, they can't come to a decision on their own because he'll be out of, he's out of options after this year, correct? I think he's got two uh, options he's left. Got two, if he's got two options left, then, you know, he might be spending some time in, in, at AAA. Uh, but you mentioned the, the tools that he has. The one tool that he doesn't have is hitting for high average. And that's something that he might need to develop rather quickly if he intends to stay around. Uh, because, you know, they've, they've got a guy like an Oscar Mercado who can, you know, he, he has a real high OPS. and you know, he hits for average and a little bit of power uh, and, and, you know, is, is working his way into playing really good defense. So, yeah, he, you don't like to say that he, he lost his position to, uh, to injury, but, you know, if they've got a guy who can come in behind him and, and play the position, I mean, it's, it's tough. I, I like Bradley Zimmer a lot, too. I, I think he, he gives them a lot in terms of, uh, you know, base running and, and whatnot, but uh, he doesn't he, – he needs to, to – you know, sort of find that consistency at the plate. And I don't even think he had that when he first came up. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a guy that, um, you know, great arm, great speed, great, you know, great defender. We all, we saw that all in what, 2017, 2018 when he first came up, obviously, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of swing and miss. And if you're going to be that guy, you know, as I remember when they, they sent him down, for the first time. And they said, if, if he's going to be this guy, if he's going to strike out for close to 40% of the time, he's got to hit for a lot more power than he's showing. You know, he's got to, he's got to be a productive player. I mean, and, and players like that can survive in the big leagues. You know, there's guys striking out 140, 150, 180 times and still playing every day, but they're also hitting 30 to 35 home runs and driving in hundred runs. And eventually, so, you know, um, he's got to make a, you know, he's got to find out what kind of player he is. And, and right now he's coming back at, from that shoulder surgery. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't seen how he can throw. We haven't seen him, you know, on a regular basis in the outfield. So, you know, and I think, you know, there's, he's, he's going to have to rein himself in, I think, defensively. But I think he's a number one pick, Joe. He's got two options left. They paid him a lot of money for a signing bonus. You know, I think I think he's got. You know, the clock is the clock. He's still got a lot of clock, right, on him. But but it's ticking. Let's just say right. it like that. And you know, it's funny that you say he needs to figure out if he's if he's going to be a you know a power hitter or not. When he does hit the ball, uh, you know, batting practice, he hits tape measure shots in batting practice. I know. When he, when he gets a hold of the ball, you think about a guy who's as long as he is and can generate as much bat speed out on the end of the bat you know, with, with it long arms and long legs like that, the ball will go a mile if he gets a hold of it. It's just, is he, is he a 30 to 35 home run a year guy? Is he that guy? And they yeah, don't know yet. And that's, that's a great, you know, and it's, 
you know, we great athlete, but uh, what kind of baseball player is he going to be? And I, I still think uh, the Indians are waiting on that. Yeah, and, you know, the Indians have a couple of those, you know, great athletes, but are, are they baseball players, you know, in the minor leagues? You've got Will Benson, who's 6'5 and runs like the wind and, you know, can hit the ball a mile, but is he a baseball player? You know, that, that's uh, – you know, not all of them have won three championships with the Bulls by the time they get to the Indians minor league system. So. <laughs> that's right. I've got one here from J.C. from Avon. Do the Indians have a good relationship with Grady Sizemore? I think it's strange he hasn't been brought back much, if if at all, for progressive field celebrations or events. I think Grady Sizemore is working as a consultant with the or, or at least did in the last couple of seasons has been a, a special special assistant with the club. Uh, might not have been very publicly, but uh, he's he's at least been in in the in the vein of a, a Travis Hafner or uh, Travis Fryman, he's been a, a special assistant with the club. Yeah, he was, he was, he, they brought him in a couple of years ago uh, to work with the outfielders in spring training. Not, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, and I think, you know, if he, if Grady doesn't come to the ballpark, you know, like some, uh, some guys, you know, the, they have that, the Indians have that ambassador program where guys come in for a weekend, sign autographs, throw out the first pitch, that kind of stuff. I don't, th- I don't know if he's done that, but, I think it, the relationship is fine with between Grady and the Indians. I mean, the Indians made Grady a, a rich, a rich man. Yeah, uh, you know, and it's just uh, well, deservedly I, I, so. Those that 2006 season was amazing. Yeah, I mean, he had a great year. He, uh, you know, he just it was just so unfortunate that we, he, I, you know, ideally he he might still be playing. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a stretch, but he he was so talented. He was. He, he could do a lot of different things. And, you know, I remember uh, Chris Antonetti, at the one year you were talking about that 2016 season, he only hit like 260 or 270, but mm-hmm. he did everything else. And, and I said, you know, I was saying, you know, he was, you know, Chris was saying, you know, I think maybe if he doesn't, he could have been an MVP, you know, as an MVP candidate. And I said, geez, he only hit 263. And then that's where I got my first uh, look at how different, you know, general managers look at players and, and I was looking at players because mm-hmm. they were looking at the whole spectrum, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, every OPS and all that stuff and the saber metrics and all that. And, you know, Grady was off the board, off the charts on that. Career high 907 OPS in uh, um, 2006, an all-star season for him, his first all-star season, finished 11th in the MVP voting uh, in the American League that year. Uh, 133 OPS plus that tied a career high, and uh, at, at the end of the season he was batting 290. So yeah, uh, yeah, you know, not so bad. Not so bad. And then he I, was that his 30 30 year? I don't know if that was. I believe that no, he was 28 home runs and 22 steals. The following year, 2007, he was uh 34 home runs and 33 stolen bases. I remember asking him about that after he got 30, after he did 30, 30. And I go, well, you know, you satisfied? No. And he goes, no, I'd like to do, I still got time. I'd like to try to get 40, 40. 40, 40. It it never happened, but I've never seen a guy break down that fast. You know, just. That three year stretch, 2006 to uh, 2008 uh, season, he played, played, you know, 162, 162 and 157 games. 
his OPS for that three-year stretch, uh, 879, OPS plus 130, uh, batting average 279, and he hit 85 home runs, stole 93 bases, and drove in 244 runs in that three-year stretch. And how so, many fences did he knock down? Yeah, <laughs> uh, seriously. But, but yeah, that was uh, – so, uh, you know, the original question here was why haven't we seen more of Grady Sizemore around? Is that just a personality thing? Is that just Grady? I, think, you know, he's, I don't think Grady not, is, like, the most outgoing guy. Yeah. You know, you could be, you know he, was, he was quiet when he played. You know, he wasn't uh, – I don't think he ever put a – you know, I, I don't know. But I don't think he was the life of the party, you know. But, uh, Correct. But, and, but I, I don't think there's anything. I mean, those guys loved him. I mean, after he was hurt, uh, I mean, the front office loved him. And after he was hurt, I think, they, they still brought him back for one year on a $5 million deal, I think. And he couldn't play at all. Right. I don't think he played at all that year. That was uh, 2012, right? Yeah, he was coming off microfracture surgery, maybe on right, both yeah. knees. 2010, he missed all but 33 games. 2011, he played in 71 games, and then, you know, he had, like, whatever other issues with his knee. He missed all of 2012 and never never played a game. Uh, he didn't play in 2012 or 2013. And then he came back with Boston and finished up with Tampa Bay, I think. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Boston, Philly. Oh, Philly, yeah. Uh, Philly that. for a year or two, and then Tampa Bay. And never played more than, like, the most games he played in the season was 2015. He played 97 games that year, split between Philly and Tampa. So he worked. He yeah. tried so hard to come back. I mean, yeah. I remember. Uh, uh, oh man, uh, Ben Francisco uh, was played with uh, Grady, and and they he, they live near each other in Arizona right now in mm-hmm. Phoenix. And he's he called him uh, uh, the um, the Mike Trout. The, the Mike Trout before there was a Mike Trout. Uh, he right. called Grady Sizemore that, and I thought that was. That was pretty apropos. I remember him stealing third in Toronto on a straight steal. I mean, I mean, steal, stealing home on a straight steal of home mm-hmm. in Toronto. And you could hear the ground almost like rumbling when he, when he was coming home. It was, it was unbelievable. It was just like, I don't know if there, it was, it was just like, bum, 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 bum. you know, it's right. just like, he, you know, it was, he could, he could do everything. Well, and that's, you know, he comes from that, uh, that great, uh, you know, bastion of, uh, baseball, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the he comes from Seattle, Washington, the, the, the Washington state area. It's yeah. not like you get a lot of baseball players coming from that area. Yeah. And he was like an option quarterback. Right. I think he was he, a football player is what he was. And then he, and he, what, what did, I think he could have gone to university of Washington or right. I don't, yeah. Yeah. So. Washington. He could have been a Husky. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got one more before we wrap it up. Uh, this is from James Hill. James Harris from Hilliard, Ohio. Okay. Uh, do you see the possibility of having no minor league season and Columbus maybe maybe operating as a B team for the Indians while traveling to other cities so they could play B games and have them count to get as many games as as they as you could play in. <laughs> Wow! Now we got the the JV varsity system. Is this what we're talking about? Wow! These I, I would love to do a whole podcast on fan conspiracy theories about what should happen for the schedule and, and all that. That's crazy. You have a, a traveling B team. 
<laughs> yeah. that, and the games would count. That's even yeah, better. Yeah, the games would count. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Um, I, and I'm not trying to laugh at this, guy, this guy's question, but holy Toledo. I, I, I think you're, you're operating. Holy Columbus. The, yeah, I think you're operating under the presupposition here that, uh, that there won't be a minor league season or some sort of minor league something. I think if they're going to have spring training in the home ballparks, if that's the goal that they're shooting for, then you leave Arizona and Florida open to have, you know, uh, minor leagues at least play on the backfields there. You know, it's not like they were going to be playing in front of stand, uh, fans in the stands in, in minor league parks anyways. So why not just keep them at their facilities, something what they're comfortable with and they know certainly you could have uh, two or three minor league teams for each club playing out of their home facilities and parks and, and getting, you know, some sort of season in in that regard. Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. I think if you, you know, no matter how many games the big league team plays, uh, 80 to 100 or whatever, you know, you know there's going to be injuries. You know there's going to be guys that aren't performing well. You know that teams are going to want to make some moves. So you're going to have to have, you know, some reserves. And those reserves are going to have to be playing somewhere. Right. And, you know, are they – are you really going to be busting around the international league? Is uh, you know Triple uh, A Columbus really going to be busting to Durham and stuff? I, I don't think so. You know, I, so the like you said, probably the best thing is to either have them play, you know, I'll go out to Arizona where you've got all the facilities and stay sharp out there, or maybe, who knows? Maybe they, maybe they go to Columbus and play. You know, work out there and, and, and train there. I, I don't know, but or maybe at some point during the season they make it to Columbus and, and play yeah. a, play a, a extremely shortened version of their schedule that way. But but at least for the early going, after after the major league players, you know, get get up and running, I think they'll focus on having something, you know, minor. And like you said, the worst thing it, you could have would be a guy on your major league roster who's who's giving up you know, three, four homers, uh, an outing or something like that. And, and you can't get rid of them you, because there's, there's nobody, you know, nowhere, yeah. nowhere for you to call up players from. So you're stuck with a guy who's, who's killing you every time you put them out there. Uh, I, I can't see that as, as being an option for the big league clubs. And I mean, if, you know, heaven forbid somebody tests positive, you know, so, so you've got to, you know, you've got to isolate him and call up another guy. I don't know. You know, that's still another, a big, uh, you know, how do you handle that? You know, because that's obviously that's a, a you know a possibility. Well, we just had Star Wars Day at the beginning of this week, so uh, on, on May the fourth. But uh, you know, maybe we can freeze them in carbonite like Han Solo when they test positive, <laughs> something like that. Uh, all right, before we get going, uh, you mentioned before we came on uh, and, and started recording here uh, the anniversary uh, um, coming up tomorrow of the Indians trading Giovanni Urshela to the Yankees and, and that worked out for everybody, right? Uh, it certainly worked out for Gio. He, uh, he had a career year for the Yankees who were desperate to find anybody to, to sort of uh, fill in for them. Um, when they, you know, started losing players left and right to injury. Uh, um, they had uh, their one of their rookie of the year finalists from the year before. Yeah, Glaber Torres. Uh, well, Glaber Torres, uh, played short on and off, yeah. but it was the other one, uh, yeah. the the third baseman, um, that that he really stepped in for. Oh, what was the because he had shoulder surgery, he had rotator right, cuff surgery. Right. Uh, 
his name escapes me. Uh, but Urshela's season last year, um, you know, he appeared in, geez, uh, 132 games for the Yankees. He hit 314. He hit Giovanni Urshela hit 314. He had never hit um, above. Let's see. His career batting average with the Indians in 148 games prior to that was 225. So he hit 314 with the uh, with the Yankees last year, uh, 889 OPS. Well, you know, by far a career high. 74 runs batted in, 21 homers. Uh, where was that when he was with the Indians? Yeah, I mean, this guy was Brooks Robinson with the glove. He was, you know, he was, he's maybe one of the best third basemen I've ever seen, but he couldn't hit. And, you know, it always got me, graded me that, you know, when when uh, Gio had this great season last year, you know, how many Indians fans would come out of the woodwork and say, I told you that we shouldn't have traded him. I told you they shouldn't have traded him. They should have kept him. This guy could not hit, Joe. You mm-hmm. saw him play – I, I saw him play Columbus. I saw him, I, and he got chance after chance. It's it's not like you know he sat on the bench for for a half the season and only got thirty at bats. I mean, you know, he he was starting third baseman I think in two thousand sixteen, two thousand you know seventeen, and then when they when they when when they played the Yankees in the ALDS, he was he was he was starting at third base. So right. he got a chance, and uh, you know for whatever reason for whatever happened. He uh, turned it around and hopefully he keeps going. All right. He, the Indians traded Urshela originally to the uh, the Blue Jays for cash, and then the Blue Jays released him and the Yankees right. picked him up. So uh, that's how he got to New York. But uh, you're right. You talk about it. It was weird because like he sort of went back to the House of Horrors for him. Uh, it was it was there in New York in that 2017 uh, division series that he. He booted a couple of balls that yeah. that cost the Indians. Uh, that, cost them a game with Bauer on their mound. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> you know that you look back, he goes back to the place that he he had his greatest failure and and becomes uh, you know a sweetheart. And and now the Yankees and Yankee fans just love him. So uh, there's there's no getting away from that. And I uh, I think the guy we were t- thinking of was Miguel Andujar. Yeah, Andahar. That's the that was the third the yeah. third baseman, and you know Urshela still has a really good relationship with Francisco Lindor as well. Which oh yeah, they're best friends. Yeah, yeah that, I mean you see on social media you see posts of Lindor and uh, Urshela bike bicycling around the island, um, uh, you know not the island uh, down in Florida, all over the place, uh, and and you just sort of wonder, gosh, I hope Urshela isn't the reason that you know Lindor. Uh, elects to go to the Yankees in free agency or something like that because that would just be a, a total nightmare to have to deal with. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. That would be well, at least they only play him what they'd only play him what six times, six, six or seven times a year. Yeah, so it's not like the old days when when you'd have that what you get two two trips to each city. They come be, in twice and you'd go to New York twice. It would be miserable to see him smiling and running around the Bronx and in pinstripes, that would just be the worst thing possible. But now that I've, now that I've spoken it into existence, I'm sure it's going to happen. He's going to have his choice wherever he wants. All right. Money. Well, Paul, uh, this wraps up uh, a heck of a week here on the Cleveland baseball talk podcast. I, I don't know how we're going to top it next week, but we're going to try. Hopefully, you know what we, we need to start getting, uh, getting in touch with uh, some of these writers from the, the other, um, cities and the other teams that we're covering and, and 
sort of getting updates on yeah. at least the the White Sox and the the Twins and the teams that are going to be pushing the Indians once we once we do fall back into uh, you know whatever uh, situation we're playing. So we will uh, set ourselves to doing that and and having on some more some more guests in the next week or so. Uh, until then, we'll talk to you again on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Thanks, Joe.